podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Wednesday, the 12th of October, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield are a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, and access things you're geo-blocked from. With a Liberty Shield VPN, you can keep your data safe while getting the content that you want. So if you're a UK expat and you want access to BBC iPlayer or ITV Hub or all four, Liberty Shield is the company who will do that for you. They can also help you unlock the entire global catalogue of Netflix. You can just set your VPN, your IP address to where you want it to be and it'll open up stuff that's not shown in your country. So go to libertyshield.com and use the code EPL25, that's EPL25, to get 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out both the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, something a little bit different today to begin. We are beginning by offering huge congratulations to the Republic of Ireland women's team who defeated Scotland 1-0 last night to qualify for next year's FIFA Women's World Cup, the first time in our history that we have qualified for the competition massive massive occasion a huge step forward for women's football in this country and a really nice moment what as amber barrett scores the winning goal amber barrett if you don't know is from donegal and right now donegal is reeling because of the horrendous incident that took place there last week 10 people lost their lives when a gas explosion next to a petrol station and an apartment block just just changed the landscape and changed the mood of the country quite drastically. Um, absolutely horrible what's happened. And, you know, your immediate thoughts go to, obviously, the families of the people who, who lost their lives. And as it turns out, Amber Barrett has family from the region has friends from the region new people who died in the incident in Creaselaw and um great moment for her great moment for the country the kind of lift that people needed and nothing is going to take away the joy not not the arseholes who want to focus in on a group of girls being excited and singing a song in the changing room afterwards, not the pontificating prick on Sky 
who, while interviewing one of the players, decided that he was some sort of uh, prosecutor and started demanding that she apologise, telling her that maybe some education was needed. The education is needed, but it's not needed on the Irish side. We're fully aware of what took place in our country. Uh, The education is very much needed. On the other side, those people who don't seem to realise that, you know, when you colonise a country and they fight back, you can't really be too upset when they sing songs about fighting back. That song, by the way, that song was written for Celtic Football Club. So, you know, it is what it is. We'll sing it all day long. Uh, Let's move on. Champions League last night. We had eight games, and to be fair, most of them were fairly lacklustre. But Maccabee Haifi at two, Juventus nil, massive shock in Israel. Omar Atsili with two goals in the seventh and 42nd minute. Disastrous result for Juventus. And almost certainly Juventus will be enjoying themselves in the Conference League, no, the Europa League, but they could still finish outside the Europa League spots if they get a couple of hidings in the next couple of games. We'll see. Uh, Copenhagen nil, Manchester City nil. Uh, Sergio Gomez sent off on 30 minutes for City. City still dominated the game. Rodri scored an absolute worldy, but it was ruled out for an infringement. Uh, Riyad Mahrez missed a penalty because Riyad Mahrez is contractually only allowed to score penalties when City are 2-0 up. Not 2-1, not 2-2. Only when they're 2 up, then he's allowed to score penalties. Um, For a fellow with so much technical ability, he is a dreadful penalty taker. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain won, Benfica won. Kylian Mbappe, we'll talk about him later, scored a penalty on 39, João Mario equalised from the penalty spot on 62. Great result for Benfica away to PSG. Dinamo Zagreb won, Salzburg won. Nicholas Seewald scored for Salzburg after 12 minutes. Robert Lubucic, whose name I have definitely butchered, <laughs> on 40 minutes equalising for Dinamo. Uh, probably a better result for Salzburg than for Dinamo, given they were the away team. Dortmund won, Sevilla won. Tangai Nianzu, who's a really, really promising young centre-back, was at Bayern. Uh, was at PSG. Bayern nicked him out of the academy when his contract run, ran up and sold him to Sevilla this past summer as the replacement for Jules Koundé. Uh, I believe that's his first goal for the club. Great to see Marquez back playing as well. Uh, Jude Bellingham equalised on 35 minutes. Again, a much better result for the away team than the home team, especially considering where Sevilla are this season. Milan nil at uh, Chelsea to referee ruined this game. Fakayo Tomori sent off on 18 minutes. It's the softest red card you're ever going to see. For me, it's not a penalty. We see it all the time. Uh, an attacker cuts in front of a, of a defensive player. The defensive player puts a hand on him. There's nowhere near enough contact or force to bring Mount down. Mount can't get it shot away. The penalty is given. A red card is given. It ruins the game as a contest. Jorginho scores and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang scores 13 minutes later. Uh, some bad news for Chelsea in the game, though, when that Reese James appeared to pick up an injury. Um, so we'll wait and see how long 
he could be out for. He does have quite the habit of picking up injuries. Probably shouldn't be carrying around that much muscle. There's no real need for it. Shakhtar Donetsk won, Real Madrid won. Shakhtar very unfortunate here. Zubkov put them ahead on 46 minutes and they held out and they held out and they held out. But Antonio Rudiger with a bit of a fortunate goal on 95 to give Real the draw. Celtic nil, RB Leipzig two because we couldn't have two good results in the one night. Uh, Celtic, to be fair, played really well for 70 minutes. And then the, just the quality of Leipzig told Timo Werner and Emil Forsberg with the goals. Again, as I said before the game, you're looking at uh, a Leipzig team with five players who cost them 20 million or more and a Celtic club that have never spent more than 10 million on a single player. So for Celtic to go toe-to-toe with them was a pretty decent effort. Now, in terms of how that affects the groups, Chelsea now top Group E with seven points. Salzburg have six points. Milan have four. And Dinamo Zagreb have four. In Group F, it's Real Madrid top with 10 points. They are through. Leipzig, well, more or less through. Leipzig um, second with Yeah, Real Madrid are through because Leipzig and Shakhtar have to play each other. So one of them will take points off them. Anyway, Real Madrid top with 10 points. Leipzig second with six points. Shakhtar third with five points. And Celtic, unfortunately, bottom with just the one point. Group G, Manchester City top, 10 points. Dortmund second, seven points. Sevilla third and Copenhagen fourth. Both of them have two points. Uh, City are through and Dortmund are as good as through. And in Group H, you have PSG top with eight points, Benfica second with eight points, Juventus third, and Maccabee fourth. What we need is Maccabee to pick up one point from their last two games. Juve to lose the last two games, and Juve to go out. Because they deserve to go out. Their football is appalling. They have made an incredible mess of their own club for the last four years. From the moment they decided to buy Cristiano, things have been falling apart. They have not adequately replaced their fullbacks and upgraded on them. They're still playing Szczesny in goal, despite the fact that he's not nearly good enough to play for a club like Juventus. You look at what they've done at centre-back. They had, at one point, Delic, Demerel and Christian Romero all under contract. Now they have none of them. And they're playing Rugani, who was as good at 19 as he is now, has had a very disappointing career. Bonucci, who's a couple of years past his best. They did buy Bremer in the summer. I wouldn't be overly keen. I'd much rather have Romero, Demerel or Delict. Um you look at the state of their midfield, it's it's just ugly. It is ugly. And whoever, whatever Juventus do, they need to replace their sporting director. They've never adequately replaced Beppe Morata. As soon as, as, soon as he left and went to Inter, 
the demise of Juve began and they haven't had anybody competent running football operations of that club since. They haven't had anybody competent handling recruitment since. They've made a couple of good buys. Chiesa, Vlahovic. I think Locatelli's a good buy. But, I mean, a blind person could have told you they were talented players. Juventus need to be humbled and everybody needs to be fired. Uh, Tonight in the Champions League then, we have eight games, <clears throat> two early and six late. So the early games, Napoli versus Ajax. Napoli beat Ajax 6-1 in Amsterdam the last time. Atletico Madrid versus Club Bruges. Last time out, Club Bruges shocked Atleti with a 2-0 win. Atleti need this victory. They have looked a little bit more like themselves in league form of late, so they will be aiming to get three points there. In the 8 o'clock kickoffs, we have Leverkusen versus Porto. Leverkusen under Xabi Alonso got a 4-0 win over Schalke at the weekend and will be looking to bounce back and try and get their Champions League campaign um, going in the right direction. Last last time out, they lost 2-0 to Porto in Porto. So now they have them at home. They'll be looking to even the scores. Rangers at home to Liverpool. Liverpool won 2-0 at Anfield last week. Rangers had a good win at the weekend over St. Mirren. Liverpool were awful against Arsenal. Liverpool have been awful all season. Uh, if Rangers ever wanted a chance to beat a big club, this is probably it. They don't do it now. They're not going to do it because I think Ajax and Napoli will slap them in the last two games. Barcelona, uh, Barcelona play at home to Inter Milan. Last week, obviously, Inter beat Barcelona 1-0 at the San Siro. Xavi has said this game will be like a final, which it, it probably is considering, you know, Bayern are running away with the group. Bayern will win tonight against uh, Victoria Plisson. And if Inter were to get a point, that would put Barca in an awkward position. Tottenham, oh, Victoria Plisson at home to, to Bayern. Bayern walloped them last week 5-0. Uh, Tottenham and Eintracht Frankfurt played out the single most boring Champions League game of the year last week. It ended nil-nil and everybody cried. And their league form are going in different directions. Spurs had a great win at the weekend over Brighton, whereas Eintracht lost to Bochum, who were bottom of the Bundesliga and hadn't won a game all year. Uh, so Spurs should be confident of picking up a win in that one. And then Sporting versus Marseille. Marseille walloped Sporting last week 4-1, but Sporting had their goalkeeper sent off after 23 minutes when the game was fairly finely balanced at 2-1 to Marseille. So they'll be looking for a bit of revenge. As the groups currently stand, Group A has Napoli on 9, Liverpool on 6, Ajax on 3, and Rangers without a point. Uh, Group B has Club Bruges on nine, Porto on three, Leverkusen on three, and Atletico Madrid on three. So poor, uh, Bruges can secure their advancement tonight. They're almost certainly going through anyway, unless they get absolutely rinsed in the next three games. Bayern top Group C, Inter have six points, Barca have three points, Collision have none. 
if Inter gets something tonight, it's going to be very, very hard for Barcelona to overtake them because Inter will beat Plisian. Barca will beat them as well, but then Barca um, have to take on Bayern and, ho- and need to win that game to go through, whereas Inter could accept a defeat to Bayern and find their way through because it will be the head-to-head. And in Group D then, it's Sporting top on six points, Tottenham second on four, Eintracht on four, and Marseille on three. And Marseille had a bad result at the weekend, just like Eintracht. So some good games tonight. I'm actually looking forward to... Well, I'm not looking forward to the Liverpool game. Let's be clear on that. I'm really looking forward to the Napoli-Ajax game because Napoli are just so much fun to watch. Uh, I'm looking forward to Leverkusen-Porto. I think I'll have that on the other TV. And then Sporting versus Marseille. I might keep one eye on, maybe put it up on the laptop or something. But should be should be a good night. I actually thought last night was going to be good, though, and it wasn't. Um, so I'm hopeful that tonight will be, will be good games. Barca-Inter could be interesting depending on what tactical shape Inter take. If they go to try and spoil the game, it could be a bit of an ugly watch. But if they go and try and play football, we know Barca will play football, and it could be a good game. It could genuinely be a good game. Uh, What we'll do now is we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. I want to talk about Kylian Mbappe for a little bit. And then we've got news, we've got gossip, and we're done for the day nice and quick. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, yesterday, breaking news from France. Kylian Mbappe wants to leave Paris Saint-Germain in January. He feels he has been betrayed by the club. We don't know what that amounts to. We don't know who has betrayed him. There were follow-up reports that if Mbappe were to leave, that both the manager, Christophe Galtier, and the director of football, Luis Campos, could also leave the club. Uh, would be a very strange scenario if all three left in January. Um, if I'm PSG, the one I'm desperate to keep is Campos because he's a genius. And if I really do want to win a European Cup, he is the man I would put faith in to build a team to win the European Cup. But the Mbappe thing is just strange because... He obviously joined PSG in 2017, initially on loan with an obligation to buy, and then the transfer went through in 2018. And it was an enormous fee at the time, 168 million or something ludicrous like that. His contract was due to run out this past summer, and everybody, everybody thought he's going to Real Madrid. Real Madrid thought he was going to Real Madrid. I think at one point, Mbappe himself probably thought he was going to Real Madrid. But then he did a U-turn and he re-signed with Paris Saint-Germain. Now, rumours of the contract, rumours, nothing confirmed, but rumours were PSG gave him a 100 million signing on fee and a guaranteed salary of 4 million pounds a week, which is about 5 million euro. So about about a million quid a week. As, as you look at it, about a million quid a week and a hundred million pounds 
about 110, 112 million euro. So basically two full years salary, a little bit more as a signing fee. Um, this was a deal that made him the highest paid player in the world. There was a lot of talk at the time that, oh, he's going to have involvement in, you know, picking players and making decisions in terms of how the club is run. All manner of nonsense. Now, seven months, not even seven months, this happened in what, May? So five months later, five months later, he now wants to leave the club again. You'd love to know what has gone on. Now, there's been some reports that he doesn't like playing as a number nine. He prefers to play with a number nine. That he loves playing with somebody like Olivier Giroud, uh, who can do sort of the physical side of things up against centre-backs, and he can work around that. It's a fair complaint for him to make, but if there's any club who is capable of buying any number nine to play next to him, it is PSG. Now, in the summer, you'll remember, PSG were very strongly linked with Gianluca lucas Schimacca, who ended up at West Ham. And the thought was, he's going there to play with Mbappe and be that number nine, that Giroud-type number nine, next to Mbappe. In the end, that deal fell through and they signed Hugo Ekatiki, the young French forward from Reims instead. Now, he's a slightly different type of forward. He's more, well, he's more similar to Mbappe, really. He's more, I would say, the best comp for him is Anthony Martial, a bit taller, but a similar type of player to Anthony Martial. If that's what Mbappe feels betrayed over, that he didn't get the number nine he wanted, I mean, it's a very minor complaint to have. Your club did have Mauro Icardi. Now, he's a slightly different type of number nine, but more than willing to do the dog work if asked. Icardi's issue is him and Messi have never seen eye to eye because of things that happened many years ago between Icardi and Maxi Lopez. Um... It's just a strange thing. Mess, uh, you've got Messi and you've got Neymar playing next to you. You've got two of the best creative players in the world supplying you with many, many chances. You're not going to get the same level of creativity anywhere outside of Manchester City. But there's simply no way that the Qataris would sell to Man City. So where are you going to go? If we look at the clubs that could realistically afford to buy him, you'd look at Spain, Real Madrid, they would find the money to buy him. But apparently PSG would not be willing to sell him to Real Madrid at this point. So that raises an interesting thing that I'll come back to. There's nobody else there that can afford him. Barcelona are over a billion in debt. It would cost probably 200 250 to get Mbappe. Barca cannot leverage that type of money. Nobody in Syria has that type of money. Now, Juventus will always find creative ways to find money, but I think that price would be well beyond the scope of what they could do. 
there's no chance Bayern would do it. No chance. Not at that fee. So there's nobody in Germany. There's obviously nobody in Portugal. So you're looking at the Premier League. Chelsea probably have access to that type of money in terms of they could take another loan on top of the loan they've taken to fund this past year's transfer spend. So Chelsea could be an option. Manchester United could probably afford him. It would be by far the biggest deal in their history, obviously, as it would be for any club. But would he want to go to United? Would he fit? There's no number nine there to play with him. So he doesn't have that type of target man up next to him that he wants. We could speculate that Liverpool, who have long fawned over him and wanted him, could try and do something involving Mo Salah. And Liverpool do have Darwin Nunes to offer Mbappe that number nine he could play up alongside. But Liverpool aren't going to do it. The wages would be astronomical. I would imagine on top of Salah, you're still looking at a significant fee. And then there's Man City. They have Haaland, so he get that number nine. But there's no chance. There's absolutely no chance that they'd sell to him. A sell to sell to them. And then there's Newcastle. Newcastle absolutely could afford it. It wouldn't even cause them to blink. And in Isak, they have a number nine who could play up alongside him, though Isak isn't himself a traditional number nine. Now Callum Wilson could do a you know a fair approximation of Olivier Giroud. A little bit shorter, but strong, good in the air, good hold of play, very unselfish player, good link player. But I don't think Mbappe has been dreaming of playing with Callum Wilson. And again, I just don't see the Qataris being willing to sell to the Saudis. Now, despite the fact that when these ownership groups bought their respective clubs, PSG, Newcastle and Manchester City, the world was assured that no, no, these are private entities buying these clubs. These aren't nations buying these clubs. There, there is no connection. They're separate entities. Um, we can see that the political tensions between those countries very much translates into the world of football. There is no chance that Qatar would do business with the Saudis or with Abu Dhabi. So you can rule City and Newcastle out from that point. So that leaves us with the possibility of United, but again, the fit, they don't have that number nine. Chelsea, but again, it's money that they'd be loaning. It's not money that they have themselves. Todd Bowley doesn't have it to spend. And the off chance of a Salah plus cash deal. Now, the Salah plus, plus cash deal is probably what PSG would want. It would probably favour them to get that sort of deal. But I just don't see it. I just don't see any possibility it would even be considered. The other factor you have to take in is not just buying Mbappe, but how long do you get him for? Do you get him in January and by the summer he's demanding to go because he wants to go to Real Madrid and he realises that he should have gone to Real in the summer? Do you get him for a year next January, 18 months, summer 2024? How long do you actually get him for? 
how committed is he going to be to your club? We've seen some definite issues with his commitment to PSG, both in terms of asking for a transfer five months after signing a new deal and some of the things we've seen on the pitch for him, some of the attitude issues, some of the, you know, the work rate issues. I thought Thierry Henry made an interesting point when he said Mbappe from the outside looks like somebody that nobody has ever said no to. And that does appear to be the case. I mean, this kid was born to be a star. And from the age of 15, he was told, you're going to be a star. And as soon as he broke in to the Monaco team, he became a star. And in 16, 17, he became a sensation. And since then, he's been put into the conversation of, one of the best players in the world. And when you're in that conversation, you can pretty much ask for and do whatever you want. He's been put on the pedestal with Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, you name it, he's there. Now, in the last couple of years, I would say he's warranted his place among that discussion, but he didn't for the first couple of years. Not that he wasn't to that level of talent, But you've got to have a track record. You've got to have a body of work. Like when Lionel Messi broke through at Barcelona, he wasn't anointed the greatest player in the world straight away. It took three or four years before that became the go-to line. Lionel Messi's the greatest player in the world. Lionel Messi's the greatest player ever came along a couple of years later. Mbappe was given a lot of things before he'd actually earned them on the pitch. His play had been sensational. No one would deny that. His play for PSG, his play for the national team, an absolutely sensational footballer. That's why he's got such a great goal-scoring record. At PSG, he's got 183 goals in 230 games. He scored 27 in 60 at Monaco. That's 210 in 290 for the career. Not bad, considering he plays played a lot of his football as a wide forward. At international level, 28 goals in 59 games. He's won a World Cup. He's won five league titles in France. He won a Nations League for whatever that's worth. But he's always been held on a pedestal and like Henri said, it just looks like nobody's ever said no to him. So perhaps PSG did say to him, oh yeah, no, when you sign this contract and we'll give you, you know, some sort of involvement in our recruitment, some sort of involvement in the hiring of managers, some sort of involvement in whatever you want. And then he signs the contract and then they went, no, we're actually not going to do all of that that we said. Maybe that's been the case and he just doesn't like being told no. You know, maybe he went to the manager and said, oh, well, I don't want to play like this anymore. And the manager said, well, that's how I play. So you're going to play that way. And he thinks he should be allowed to pick the team and make tactical decisions and has had a strop over it. I mean, I thought PSG had an interesting transfer window, a, a very sensible transfer window. And if they'd got Skimaka, I do think it would be classed as a, a near great transfer window. 
you know, they make the Nuno Mendes deal permanent. He's one of the best young fullbacks in the world or wingbacks. Um, they sign Vitinha, who's obviously playing quite a bit now, but that's a long-term successor for Verratti. Ekatiki, the kind of the best young striker in France, as he was seen. Nordi Mukieli, who makes sense for them as a versatile defensive player who can cover a bunch of positions. Renato Sanchez, proven quality in the French League. When fit, an absolute dynamo in midfield. And Fabio Ruiz and Carlos Soler, two excellent players that they got at very good prices. Two players that would have fit Liverpool, for example, really, really well, but apparently there were no mid- midfielders available. Um, they signed those three midfielders, Sanchez, Fabio Ruiz, and Carlos Soler, for a combined €50 million, Euro, below €50 million, Euro, about £45 million. Pounds, about £45 million pounds for three really good midfielders to give them real strength and depth in midfield. Look at the squad that's there. You've got Gigi Donnarumma, one of the most highly regarded goalkeepers in the world. You've got Keylor Navas, one of the most highly decorated goalkeepers in the world. Uh, Somebody that is very, very highly thought of. You've got Sergio Rico, who's kind of okay. But you've got Ashraf Hakimi, he's one of the best right backs in the world. President Kimbembe is not great, but he's all right. Uh, you've got the spirit of Sergio Ramos, not the player, because he's beyond washed. You've got Marquinhos, one of the best centre-backs in the world. Verratti's one of the best midfielders in the world. I mentioned those other three midfielders. You've also got Danilo Pereira, who's solid. You've got Neymar. I wouldn't be the biggest Neymar fan, but he's an outrageous talent, and when he's on, he's great. Sarabi is okay. Um, you, you wouldn't really want to be playing him too much. But they've also got a fella called Messi, who is on anyone's list a top two player ever. He's second on mine, and he's second on the list of the weird Cristiano stands, even though Cristiano's not in that debate, or shouldn't be. Uh, best goal scorer, fine, not best player. I've got Maradona one, Messi two. But a lot of people, maybe most people, have Messi number one, and that's fine. Messi certainly had the greatest career ever. I just think that the best player ever is different to the best career ever. Um, but you've got all that talent around you. Yeah, you could that squad could do with a central defender, and you want a centre forward, but that's what the January transfer window is for. I'm sure if you put forward your demands that you want to play with a centre forward, so one could be found. One could be found to come in and keep you happy. Uh, they need a centre-back for the purpose of actually going and winning the Champions League. But all things considered, you're not going to find many better squads than that to play with. In one summer, Luis Campos transformed that squad from a collection of misfit toys into a really strong squad. Give him two more windows and PSG might be just unstoppable. I just don't see where you're going to go. Like, you could go to United. You could go to Chelsea. 
neither of them have the type of number nine you want unless you think Armando Brogia is that player. Are either of them actually going to be willing to buy you, though? Because everybody knows wherever you go next is just a pit stop on your way to Madrid. So I think he's sort of backed himself into a corner here. And look, he played and scored last night. Um, scored a penalty, didn't play particularly well. But I just, I, I don't know where it ends with Mbappe. I mean, why didn't he just go to Madrid? If that's what he ultimately wants, why didn't he just go to Real Madrid? And you're 23. If Madrid is the, is the aim, it's always going to be there for you. You're only going to get a certain amount of time playing with Messi. It might just be this season. But, you know, maybe put your toys back in the pram and maybe speak to the club and say, look, I signed the contract. I stayed. I don't want to be here. You haven't held up your end of the agreement. I'll stay till the summer, but you need to sort my move to Real Madrid at that point. And PSG were open to selling Mbappe to Real at one point. I'm sure they could be convinced of it again. Once the World Cup is over, we don't know that the Qataris are going to want to have much involvement in football. Buying PSG was just part of the vehicle to get them the World Cup. The World Cup will be over in December. And maybe they start to lose interest. If they do, PSG as a club could cease to exist. But I'm sure they'd be open to doing something as long as you give something as well. But his reputation is taking an absolute hammering. Because a lot of people think he's just spoiled and entitled. And you can't blame them. Other news today. Julian Lopetegui has turned down the offer to become the next Wolverhampton Wanderers manager. Uh, his father is ill. And apparently that is the biggest part of his decision. May also lead to some answers as to what went wrong at Sevilla over this season. Because... He'd done so well there, and this season was just the complete opposite. And everything he did was quite clearly the wrong decision. So maybe that's what's going on. Maybe his mind has been elsewhere. That is understandable, and is it is absolutely understandable that he would turn down a job to stay home and, and look after his ailing father. Uh, he will find a job at a top club whenever he wants it because he's a very, very good manager. Now just isn't that time for him. Nottingham Forest have sacked two of the staff involved in the summer recruitment. So George Sirianos and Andy Scott, the head of recruitment and head scout respectively, have both been fired. Um, I find that quite funny because during the summer, it was made fairly well known that it was the son of the owner who was taking the lead on a lot of the recruitment. Um, they did appoint Filippo Giraldi as sporting director last week. Apparently he is the man who's ultimately made this decision. He can't fire the owner's son. So he's fired these two and we'll see what happens. I mean, I don't think they did. I don't think the recruitment was bad at all. I think they did the best they could with the limited draw that Forrest were going to have as a newly promoted team. Um, Lee Catermull is the new favourite 
for the Middlesbrough job in quite a turn of events. It was reported yesterday that Michael Carrick was not going to take the job. Lee Cattermole is working at Middlesbrough in some coaching capacity and seemingly has jumped the queue, has had talks with Steve Gibson. This would be a cop-out. This would be this would be worrying if I was a Borough fan. Lee Cattermole has never managed at any senior level. He is not long removed from a playing career, only two years. So how much coaching has he done? How long does he have his badges? Is he is he actually any good? I mean, I'd be really worried if I was a Borough fan and this was the name popping up. Um, it really does seem like a strange one, especially like wouldn't he just have been made caretaker if he was a real candidate when Wilder got sacked? Wouldn't Cattermole if he was someone they were looking at, you know, coaching at their academy and thinking that's a future first team manager? Wouldn't he have been the one to get the job and not Leo Perkovic? It would be a really strange decision. Um, myself and Guy were spitballing some names beforehand and we noted that Steve Bruce had the same odds as uh, people like Andre Villas-Boas and in working through Steve Bruce's managerial history we found something interesting Steve Bruce only needs to manage Middlesbrough to complete North East Bingo he's managed Newcastle and Sunderland so Borough would be the last piece of that puzzle but not only that he is wolves away from completing Midlands Bingo. He managed Birmingham, he managed Villa, and he managed West Brom. Now, before anyone starts crying, I understand there are other clubs in both regions, and I'll come back to it. He is also only one club really away from completing Yorkshire Bingo. He has managed Sheffield United, Huddersfield, Hull, and Sheffield Wednesday. He is leads away. Now, back in reality, he is very unlikely to get any of those jobs after the disastrous job he has done at West Brom. So could he look lower and maybe expand the bingo game, try and rebuild his reputation, and then maybe get another opportunity at one of those bigger clubs? So for the Northeast, could he manage Hartlepool? Is that a job that might come up in the next few years perhaps and a big name like Steve Bruce might be exactly the type of manager that Raj Singh would look to bring in now at the moment Keith Curl is the interim manager of Hartlepool no permanent manager in place Paul Hartley was sacked in September no permanent manager in place Hasn't gone great for Keith Curl there. Just one win from four games. But only one defeat as well. So, you know, slowly but surely. Keith Curl doesn't have a great track record as a manager. Did a fairly poor job at Oldham. Did okay at Northampton. Fairly poor at Carlisle. Did fairly well at Notts County. Awful with Torquay. Pretty poor with Chester. And a pretty decent job at Mansfield. He's not... He's not a top-level manager. But Steve Bruce, Steve Bruce might be. He once was. He could be again. So Hartlepool could be a club to watch out for. 
for Steve Bruce. In the Midlands, Coventry are bottom of the championship. What if they decide to move on from Mark Robbins? Well, Steve Bruce could well be the man to step in and take over. If not them, perhaps Walsall. Now, Michael Flynn is not long in the Walsall job, uh, took over in February, but it hasn't gone great. Only the 11 wins from 33 games, 14 defeats. 14 defeats is a lot of defeats. And maybe Walsall decide that they're looking for something different. They currently sit 15th in League 2. Last season, they finished 16th. They won't view that as progression. So maybe Walsall could be an option. And then Yorkshire. He's very, very unlikely to get the Leeds job, considering uh, Jesse Marsh is entrenched and, and doing, I think, a pretty good job thus far. But what if his old mate, Mark Hughes, decides to move on from Bradford? Can you think of a better replacement for Mark Hughes than Steve Bruce? Now, Bradford are doing well this season in League Two. They're currently fourth. But what if Hughes gets an offer to go somewhere else? What if old Sparky is drawn to a higher league? Could Bradford be the next Yorkshire bingo chip for Steve Bruce? These are the real questions. These are the real questions, the, the things that drive the game of football. Where will Steve Bruce end up next? What he wants is Middlesbrough, Leeds or Wolves. What he's probably more suited to is Hartlepool, Walsall or Bradford. But no matter what, Lee Catamol should not be a candidate for the Middlesbrough job. That is an awful idea. Uh, we'll do the gossip and we'll be done for the day. France striker Kylian Mbappe will cost between 300 and 350 million if any club wants to buy him. I, I, I behave yourselves. I mean, that's from the Telegraph. I don't know who's, I don't know who's written this. Uh, Jason Burke's garbage, absolute garbage. The Telegraph have a great staff, and then they have him. Um, Manchester City striker Erling Haaland has a 200 million release clause that kicks in from the summer of 2024. Pep Guardiola said he did not have one for Real Madrid or any other team, but the clause simply applies to any club outside of England, which is exactly what I said last week. And uh, who has reported that? I, I actually, it doesn't say. It's an article on The Athletic and it does not say who is reporting that? Oh, it does. I'm sorry. It doesn't say his name at the top. It's Paul Ballas. Uh, it doesn't say his name at the top. He doesn't have a byline on it, which is odd. Oh, he does. I'm just blind. Never mind. But yeah, the release clause is there. We knew it was there all along. Tottenham forward and England captain Harry Kane says he is focused on Spurs amid speculation he could move to Bayern Munich. Spurs are monitoring Ivan Tony, and are regularly watching the player. Um, I mean, Ivan Tony doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to Spurs, for him especially, because he's not going to start ahead of Kane. He'd be better off going, when he moves on from Brentford, which he will, 
he'd be better off going to like a villa where he'll start. And I really do think, I've said it before, I think him and Ollie Watkins would be absolutely horrible to play against as a front two. If you get supporting runners from midfield and decent service into them, which Villa would have with Matty Cash and Dina as the service, and in terms of runners from midfield, you'd have the likes of Jacob Ramsey. I think that could be something that would really work, not under Gerrard, but under a real manager. Chelsea have opened talks with Mason Mount over a new contract. Leaving a little bit late, isn't this contract up in 2024? If he's not signed by this summer, I think they're going to have to sell him. Because he doesn't seem like the type that will stick around and you don't want to lose him for free. I know he's Chelsea Academy, but, you know, I, I do think there is a risk that he leaves. And I just, I don't think he suits Graham Potter's way of playing all that well. And if they're trying to buy in Kunku, I just, I don't know where he fits into that. Unless he wants, Potter wants in Kunku as his nine, which he can absolutely play, but it's not the best use of him. And I think Mason Mount needs to play a little bit deeper and a little bit more central. Chelsea want to terminate the loan of Dennis Zakaria and are also ready to, to offers for Hakim Zayic. The Zayic thing's gone on for years. Brazil centre-back Thiago Silva says his family will have a say on whether he extends his contract at Chelsea. If Chelsea have any sense, they'll just wave goodbye to him in the summer. Pa uh, Paris Saint-Germain are interested in Rafael Leao as a replacement for Lionel Messi. And Kylian Mbappe. So you're going to bring him in and ask him to replace one of the best players ever and one of the best players now. That doesn't seem like much pressure to be putting on the lad. That seems fair. Uh, Juventus want to sign Diogo Delot. I, I don't think they do. I think he's got a very active manager or a very active agent who's trying to get a new contract out of United. Barcelona intend to sell Samuel Titi in the summer. Barcelona have been trying to sell Samuel Mtiti since probably 2019. I mean, the last time he played more than 18 games in a league season was 17-18. 15-18, 16-1 last season in all competitions. He's played one game for Lecce on his loan. Uh, he has been plagued by injuries, but I, I just don't see that anyone is going to line up to buy him. You're just going to have to pay out his contract and just eat the rest of it. That's it. And he's contracted till 2026, which is the best part. He's still got three years after this one on massive money. Massive, massive money. That's tremendous. Good enough for them. Uh, Manchester United, Newcastle and Leeds are all interested in Rangers defender Leon King. PSG sports advisor Luis Campos only joined the club in June, but could leave the league champion. I, I don't think he will. Um, Jim, Radcliffe, Jim Radcliffe said he would, would have bought Manchester United in the summer, but the Glazer family would not sell. Now, certain 
mediocre journalists who somehow have reputations has been very good told you that the Glazers were open to the sale and some random spoofer with a podcast told you he wasn't and the random spoofer with the podcast was right. So, um, you know, Nottingham Forest have sacked the two senior recruitment members and Wigan boss Liam Richardson is in the frame to become New West Brom manager after the sacking of Steve Bruce. Uh, now, Richardson, to be fair, took over a really, really strange situation at Wigan. Was there all the way through the mess and has done a fairly good job. All things considered, I think he's done a really good job. Would he be willing to leave, though? He's made a lot of really close ties at the club. I hope he stays. I do hope he stays at Wigan and keeps going with them. Did great work last year to get them promoted uh, from League One after the horrendous relegation that wasn't their fault at all. It was because of corruption, basically, that they went down. Um, forced into administration for gambling reasons. That's basically what happened. Um, so, yeah, I hope he stays. I hope he stays. Did really well last season. This season, I don't know where they are in the championship at the moment. They're ninth. So, I mean, as a newly promoted team, that's really good. Only two points outside the playoff spots as well. So, can't really argue. You could see why West Brom would want him, though. Um, right, that'll do me for today, folks. Thanks, as always, for listening. I will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves, and goodbye. Podcast Network.